it has promised it should be or to totally bow. And I believe that our moves are so crucial because we have a millennial generation that's already fed up with church because they have seen really that the church is distracted by things that don't matter. And so I think this is our opportunity to raise up so that they have a bridge to cross when they continue this fight. Here are the truths that I understand about this. What we are fighting is a fight for legacy. So it is imperative that you build up your inner man to understand that there are things you are fighting for, for your grandchildren. You will never see them. You are destroying things today for your grandchildren. Let me give you an example. My grandmother raised me. She was born in 1920. She had a 10th grade education. Even when I was in high school, she still worked as a maid. Okay? My grandmother never imagined in her lifetime that there would be a black president. And yet my 10-year-old has only known a black president. That gives me some evidence that there is a shift but that we are not there. And let me tell you where I think the disconnect came from. I believe that when we got some rights of integration, that the rights of integration made us believe that we had accomplished something that we had not fully accomplished. And I would like to submit to you that we have not actually really had integration as much as we have had assimilation. Integration and assimilation are not the same. The difference between integration and assimilation is that in order for us to be successful, the goal is for us to minimize as much blackness as we can, accept as much whiteness as we can, never fully become white, and never fully leave being black. In true assimilation, when they begin to break down the laws of segregation, what you would have seen take place is not just black people leave their communities to shop at white shops, but white people to come into black shops and begin to purchase for them. And so as a result, in the words of my late great brother, Malcolm X, we have been hoodwinked and bamboozled. The great thing is that Matthew 13 says anytime you can see, hear, and understand that you can be converted and you can begin the healing process. So it is important that you begin to wrestle with some things and determine where you're going to stand on history. First of all, it was utterly amazing to me to find out that only 50,000 black people participated in the civil rights movement. Absolutely blew me away. The guy, I, in fact, I don't even know what the guy said after that because I pulled out my phone and started researching to verify that what he said was true because I was like, that cannot be true. It is, it is mind-blowing. But let's take the words of Harriet Tubman. I freed a thousand slaves and I could have freed a thousand more had they only known they were slaves. So you put it in perspective and you don't, that doesn't seem so hard to believe. So anyway, the wrestling that we have to do with is who exactly is Jesus to us? And is our Jesus the same Jesus that particularly if you raised in the South, is that the same Jesus that everybody else is worshiping? So let, let's lay out some history because history matters. Because if we don't look at history, 
we can't fully move forward, right? And one of the biggest challenges with resolving racial inequality is that um, people want to forget the history. They like, well, you're free now, let's just move on. Except here's the problem. If I was molested as a child and I get married and you don't deal with the fact that I have been molested, the impact of my molestation keeps showing up in the marriage and you want me to modify behavior that we have not fully addressed why I have it to begin with. So it gets worse. I believe, I've said this for weeks now, I believe that the role of the black church has a very different role than any other church other than the Jewish people because the church, the black church historically has always been the hub for which power was garnered and instruction was given. So on behalf of the black leadership, I would like to apologize to you that we made you think that it was more important to go to a Women's Day program to have a purple hat meeting, to have another women's conference, than to deal with the issues that impact the fullness of our quality of life. Because even the prosperity teaching, which is not incomplete, can, which is not incorrect, cannot be completely fulfilled if you don't deal with the fact of why black people are in poverty to begin with. So as a result, for some of you, you're going to have to make a decision where the line is going to be drawn. So anyway, I was doing some research because I'm a history chick. I like to understand what we're talking about here. And I begin to understand that, no, no, let me say this. Two things, and then we'll, we'll go, we'll move a little faster. Number one, according to Matthew 22, 37 through 40, pull it up if you can, Ralph. Our fight must come from love. And, and, and hear me, because if you're a fighter, and I understand that everybody isn't, but if you're a fighter and people play with people you love, um, you, you can lose love real fast. Like, my, my greatest struggle is that I love Jesus, but I'm really a thug, and if you push me, if you push me, I, I ain't a killer, but don't push me. The person I most align with in the Bible is David. We will worship and we will fight. And then we will worship after we fight. I, I believe that if you search my lineage, you would find that I am a descendant of David. Now, there are some other people in the Bible who have some different roles. They are peacemaking. They are loving. They are all of those things. They are in the room praying and fasting. And I just would like you to pray and fast while we fight. <laughs> so you have to realize the Bible says, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Next verse. This is the first and the great commandment. So the first and the great commandment is that I got to do everything that I do out of the love of God. And let me tell you something. That is the thing that keeps me anchored. That is the thing that keeps me from becoming a person who develops hatred in my heart, from becoming a person who becomes extremely bitter, because ultimately I have committed to love God. 
So I would give you, I talked to some of y'all about this another week. Here's a mantra that I think you should have for your life because I think it makes all your decisions easier. If you live for one thing, to hear him say, well done, a lot of your decisions on the earth get a lot easier. I would bust you in your mouth, but if I do, we're going to have to talk about that. Like, like literally, in my mind, here's because I, I want you to understand the process in my mind. When, when people do certain things, the process in my mind, my first mind, because it, by nature, I'm a fighter. My first thing is that, let me go ahead and hit her in her mouth. That, that, that's, that's typically first, right? And then the second thing says, if you do that, you're going to have to talk to the Lord about it. And I go, oh, well, I need another strategy then. Because I don't know about you, but I just am the kid who doesn't mind getting in trouble with people, but I don't want to get in trouble with the Lord. I just don't. So, so I try to handle adversity in a way that honors him. So if you keep this, love the Lord your neighbor, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, it'll keep you out of hatred. People are saying some ugly things. They are doing some ugly things. They are being ugly. But if you stick with this... You'll stay free. Tell your neighbor, say, well, no, matter no matter what, stay free. Then the second one, and it says, he says, and the second one is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. So this is our foundation for how we do warfare. So we don't get to be um, in the more aggressive, violent groups because that is not the position of Christians. Nor are we pacifists. We're we not the kind that lay down and you kick us and we go, we love you, kick us again. We're not, we not them people. And so you, this, this is important because you have to know where you align in this. So, you have to understand, number one, we're committed to love. Tell your neighbor, say, we're committed to love. love. The second thing you have to understand is that black people cannot fix racism. Black people cannot fix racism. So as your pastor, your friend, whatever I am to you today, can I give you a piece of wise advice? Stop trying to plead and convince and barter with and beg people to validate and see you who are unwilling to. That's not your fight. That's what the white people in this fight do. Our part of the fight is to empower each other and get the vestiges of the need of white approval off of us. Now, I Christianity and white Christianity are not the same. And a lot of our black brothers and sisters struggle because if you only know Christianity through the system that was designed to get a people to bow and accept slavery, then you think you need another religion. We need Jesus. We just need to overthrow that idolatry. So what I would say to you that you really got to deal with, and, 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 and some of y'all going to get mad at me, but you know I'm really okay with that, that some of you really got to deal with the fact you really need white people to like you. 
you need their validation. And because you need it, you put yourself at the mercy of their oppression. If you need their validation, here's the ultimate goal. Let's get to the ultimate goal and we'll walk back, right? The ultimate goal is reconciliation. God says there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, right? So what white evangelicals keep telling us is that there is no Jew, there is no Gentile. I love you like I love myself until I need you to make a decision that proves that you love me like you love yourself. This isn't political. This is about freedom. Because if I love Chris like I love myself, I can't possibly make a decision against Chris that would not put her in the same position as myself. So let's get back to this need. See, you got to understand history. You have to understand a couple things. You have to understand. So in the beginning, um, if you go back, you can pull the history. It, it literally will shock you if you have not studied it. That in the beginning, um, the big divide, so the first thing when slaves come over, they do is they strip them of their religion. The reason that they strip them of their religion is because almost every slave insurrection comes from religion because the people believe that they should be free. So then the missionaries begin to say, we need to convert them and get them to accept Jesus. And then the slave owners say, well, we need to get them to accept Jesus, but we also need to get them to accept that the freedom piece is for us, not for them. So what we're going to do is we are going to give them a form of Christianity that promises them freedom in heaven for their good slave service on earth. So as a result, in your life, as a black American and as a white American, you have been programmed to have a position, even if it's not your individual position. Let, let, let me give you some evidence of it. How many of you black people grew up and wore the result, you, you experienced or you saw somebody get what we call a whooping? Whooping. And no, no, I want to walk you through something. I want to walk you through something. Because I want you to understand the revelation of why black people whip their kids. I need you to understand it. Why black people beat their kids. So the goal in slavery was to keep the family from being strong. Study your history and find out that they would often leave the women and the kids at one plantation and send the men to a plantation not three miles down the road and let them connect on the weekend. And if they thought the man had gotten too strong, what they would do is if they didn't rip him apart is that they would rape his wife in front of him. Now, everybody want to be like, kumbaya, let's move on. Let me tell you how I see racism. If you look in sororities and fraternities all across this nation, very rarely is the line that came in tight with the people that pledged them. Because you can't beat me for nine weeks and then say that we brothers and sisters. You a lie. We not. 
anybody who hates me, I still don't hardly like to this day. Because I'm not the kind of person that you could beat. We cross over and now we all cool. And we didn't know each other. So now back to parenting, back to parenting. So because of this, mothers lived in fear in attempt to keep from getting their sons and daughters killed. So there was a mindset that if the overseas seer sees me beat my child, they won't. So I'm beating you to death to save you from death. It is the reason that in a lot of black families, it's a lot of don't say nothing back. That's rooted in slavery because literally to say something back could be your death. So now we're out of slavery. But many of you still parent like you slaves. And so we're trying to raise up a generation of people who can shift and take us ultimately into freedom. But you still treating them like they slay. That's why you aggravated with your kids when they don't just take your word, when they ask questions. That's what free thinkers are supposed to do. They are supposed to ask questions. So don't tell me that the vestiges of slavery aren't on your skin like a film of mildew. Because if you have not done the work, your love for Jesus did not free you from the slavery that's in your heart. The next thing is that black people are taught to accommodate white people because my very life could depend on it. I had an incident. I've been reflecting a lot over my life. So I had an incident. When I got ready to get married in 1994, my grandmother and I walked into the local China store in Fort Ice, Arkansas. I'm 22. She's 62, 72, she's 72, right? We walk in and there's a lady who's probably 32, who when we walk in, she says, hey girls. I say, excuse me, ma'am, you don't see no girl up in here? She old enough to be, the whole time my grandmother is saying to me, Sean, let it go, let it go, let it go. I did not realize till I was driving down 49 the other day that the reason she was telling me to let it go is because her reality is, is that we could have died over that. The problem is I don't come from that reality. So now the tension between black people is how much do we say? How much do we not say? And I'm just going to tell you, some of you, I, I love you, but you're still in bondage to the system. You're a slave in a new way. Let me tell you about your new slavery. They pay you so they control what you say. If they don't like what you say, listen, I had a friend the other day, white lady, who stood up at school because of how the Hispanics were being treated. She was a long-term sub. At the end of the day, they told her she couldn't come back. Because when people control your money, they control your mouth. That is why we have pushed so for you to get out of debt, to get a cash flow, and to get sources of income that are not dependent upon your oppressor. 
Now, we ain't Muslim, but the truth of it is, is that Malcolm X was right. We, free, we get free, and then we allow them to teach us? Now, let me keep going, because y'all like, ooh, this seems really angry. Let me tell you, let me keep going. The truth of it is, is that there are white people who labor with us in this fight. But in order to labor with us, they have had to abandon their whiteness. I'm not saying that they can't be European. I'm saying that whiteness is a construct that was designed to implement superior versus inferior. Now let's go to the word, because I think that this is important to understand that this is not very much different than the superior relationship that the Jews thought that they had over the Gentiles. We will allow you to be saved, but you do not get to have the same rights and privileges that we get to have. In fact, I was reading last night that in the New Testament, it's so interesting, all the stuff we don't know because we don't actually read, is that, in the, that, that actually in the New Testament churches, in many of them, they had a segregated entrance. They, the Gentiles went on one side, and the Jews went on another side. So this ain't nothing, tell your neighbor, say, this ain't nothing new. This ain't nothing new. It's just on repeat. So... We're going to walk in love, but racism is both a spirit and a structure. Racism is a spirit and racism is a structure. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. People are like, is this what you preach about at church? Go back and read Martin Luther King's messages. This is the kind of stuff he preached about on Sunday mornings. Because if we all go into heaven, then let's talk about how we go get some heaven in the earth. So, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Y'all all right? Yes. So, Romans 12 and 2, but don't go to Romans 12 and 2. Stay there. Romans 12 and 2 tells you to be renewed by your, in, be renewed, by the, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? We only think about that in terms of like whether I curse, whether I fornicate, whether I drink too much, whether I do this. But the truth of it is, is that one of the questions we need to begin to ask God is this, do I, What is in me? Is there anything in me that is racially inferior? Is there anything in me that is racially superior? Because I will never ask God to heal what I do not identify needs to be healed. So, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The Lord puts verses like that in there for all the fighters. He's like, listen, you want to go out, you want to do something crazy. But listen, let me tell you something. I didn't go see Nat Turner. Let me tell you why I didn't go see it. I read it. I know what happened to him. That ain't the best way to fight. Like, so for those of you who like, I'm going to take up arms. I'm going to listen. Listen, people. We don't make guns. We don't make bullets. It's, it's three of you against a police force of 30. It's just not the best way to fight. There ha- you have to fight other places. The number one place that you have to fight is prayer. In prayer, you have to fight for the pulling down of the racial stronghold. Right? You got to pull it down. But, here, but keep reading because I think this is interesting. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Right? And then go to verse 5. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And what I begin to think about here that if you deal with this, this is about dealing with your own obedience and your own thinking before you can cast it out of somebody else. 
So if I feel racially inferior, if I feel intimidated by white people, if I, if I, if I'm, if I got hatred in my heart toward white people, if, if, if I like black people, but I secretly do think that I'm better than black people, whatever the case may be, if that stuff is in my heart, then I can't pull down a stronghold that's external out here because I am in partnership with it. That's why the work must start with me. So, y'all doing okay? So, the structures of racism are held in place by spiritual strongholds. So, I'm going to give you an example of a spiritual stronghold that we see manifested in the natural. One of the things that's very interesting to me, I, I grew up in a neighborhood where that was predominantly black. Most of the people owned their homes. They were older people. So, I feel like I'm a little closer to the civil rights movement than many of my peers because my grandmother raised me and I was around old people all the time. And so they always had me read Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. So even at eight years old, I, that, I, am very, I, am very in, I am very connected to that work, very connected to it. And so what I noticed is that one of the challenges for people who are my age is that many of the people who are my age, you are just rediscovering that you are black. Because you bought into the theory of exceptionalism and the theory of exceptionalism says that you're not white, but you're not like them other black people. And you begin to have disdain toward people from the hood. Now, interestingly, white people will allow for the diversity of all types of white. You can be high class, you can be from trailer park, you can be a redneck, you can be a prep, all that stuff. They don't necessarily feel as a people the need to disconnect from that. But I've noticed about some of you that the more educated you get, the more, a more appalled, not just disconnected, you are by anything that seems too black. Because you have been brainwashed. Because I just want to show you the stronghold. Here's the stronghold. The stronghold is very simple. White is right. Their ice is colder. You laughing, but it's true. Anybody who's talked to anybody old, old people say, listen, you, listen, black power is not a movement to suppress white people. It is a movement to say, give me my space. I don't think I'm better than you, but I know you're not better than me. There is a difference. And one of the reasons that people are terrified by something like Black Lives Matter and movements of black power is because most white people understand that white power means the suppression of blackness. So when they see something like Black Lives Matter, black power, they think you want to suppress them. Because you think I'm you. I'm not trying to oppress you. I'm just trying to have my own space. That's why I'm so blessed to see all of the women. Listen, I don't care whether you wear weave. I don't care what your hair is. But I am so blessed to see so many black women begin to love their own hair. Lauren Hill said it back in 1998. You, you're wearing hair weave. It's a difference between wearing hair weave as a protective style and wearing hair weave because you hate your hair. So you got to understand, before we go and march on Zion and take the white people to come to translation, we need to transform our own selves. So I want to show you your own vestiges of slavery. I want to show them to you. When you say things like, 
Well, I don't do business with black people because you know how black people do business. Tell me how black people do business. Who taught you that? Because I know that you have been to a white restaurant where they did not serve you on time, the food was bad and they were rude, but you did not boycott all white establishments. So tell me about this way that black people do business. I'll wait. Where'd you get that from? Who told you that? The way that Eve was deceived is because she believed a lie. The first thing that God asked her was, who told you that? If you've ever said this, and I, I had to get, I was, I, my, my bachelor's degree is in criminal justice. They actually trained us in this. They trained us in black on black crime. Black on black crime is a myth. It's not real. It's a figment of imagination, just like race is a construct that's a figment of imagination. What do I mean? All research tells us that people kill who they're close to. Proximity. From the beginning of time. Can't kill Abel. Not because he was black, because he was there. Chicago streets are in ruin because there are no black fathers. But nobody talks about what, where the black where are the white fathers the reason people keep shooting up schools? But you don't think about that. So you just let them say, like, like every time something happens, it goes, because you know the black community and you guys think, and, 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 and it, never, it never fails. We got a good black. We always got a good black who got to come on the post to come in the room and say, but we need to stop killing ourselves. That's not what we talking about. If the police, if Tyrone killed Jerome, the police will arrest him and he will walk out the process. I don't care how many Tyrones killed Jeromes. I got a right to expect that the police won't. All right, what else we got? I'm trying to tell you your vestiges. Oh, if you talk about light skin, dark skin, you got slave in you, baby. We one people. If you talk about light skin, dark skin, if you ever look at somebody you like with her black self, you got slave in you and you should get delivered with her light skin self. She thinks she cute. You got slave in you and you should get delivered. There is room at the cross for your deliverance. Because in order to, listen, let me say this too, because people want to know why, I, why I don't talk about minorities. I'm going to tell you why I don't talk about minorities, because I want us to be real, real clear about this, right? I want the Hispanics to have equal rights. I want the Muslims to have equal rights. I want the LBGTQYS to have equal rights. I want everybody to have equal rights. But every time that black people align and allow themselves to become the minority, we are the rights that don't get dealt with. I'll give you an example. When Caleb was in school the other week and he got called the N-word, the N-word, you know, nigga. Yeah. 
And it's funny because when I was in the meeting, I wouldn't say the N-word because I wanted them to be offended. So I said it every single time. I said, oh, you mean, they would say, you when Kayla got called the N-word, I said, oh, you mean when he got called a nigga? Because I want you to be offended by it. I want you to be offended by it. So anyway, we're in the meeting, and this is what they begin to say to me. They begin to tell me about, this is what they tell me. This is what the administration tells me and my husband. That number one, they have all, this is not the election. The election has not happened. They are telling me that they can already see an increase of aggression of whites against minorities. They can already see it. They can already tell that at high school, that kids are coming to school and they are t attacking and pushing at minorities. And so they begin to say, but our minority population is 43%. And this is why, if you watch, every time you see I'm going to list them, I'm going to list them individually. I'm going to say black and Hispanic and Muslim. And the reason that I'm going to do it is this, because I said, stop for a second. You tell me that the population of minorities is 43%. Yes. What percentage of that minority is black? He said 2%. I said, so Mr. Principal, could I walk you through this? So what you just told me is that white people are upset because they feel like they're minor that they're about to become the minority. And you just told me that we are 43% minorities, which makes it seem like it could be a pretty reasonable fight. Here's the problem with your strategy. Because you have lumped them all together as one minority, it is though you think that, my, that Hispanics, Marshallese, Asians, and black all have some common community. So in your mind, you think if somebody attacks Hispanics, that all the black people go run and be a part of it. But that's not how it works. So if I was a racist white person who was angry that I felt like I was losing my privilege, I would pick the weakest group. What's the weakest group? The weakest group is the smallest group. The 2%. Oh my goodness, we never thought about that. Because you're the majority, you don't have to. Because you're the majority. So I encourage you, all of you who are freedom fighters, do not let them lump minority together. It's not minority. The issues of black people. Black people are the only people. We are the only people who were enslaved and stolen from our land. We are the only people who they created a constitutional thing that said we were only three-fifths of a person. We are the only people who had Jim Crow laws. We are the only people who had a whole KKK formed in order to oppress us. It is not the same. Stop letting them tell you that. But in your attempt to be politically correct and white, you don't want to exclude anybody. Instead, you're saying, I'm for all y'all, but right now I'm fighting for black folks. The struggle against Hispanics is new. They ain't even been here that long. The struggle against Muslims is new. They ain't been here that long. But we built this land. Anyway. All right. Let's go. Next. So here's the place that you have to figure out. So God desires reconciliation. My husband just told me to wrap it up. God desires reconciliation. But there cannot be reconciliation without equality. And therein is the linchpin in the problem of this whole thing. Jesus models it first. Sin causes a breach between man and God, right? As long as there's a sin problem, God has to deal with mankind differently, right? So God sends Jesus in order to deal with sin so we could be reconciled, right? Which is now why we have the ability to come boldly to the throne of grace. So in essence, what God did was he took Jesus. He had him. He was 100 percent God. He was 100 percent man. And he mediated the conflict so that men could come to Jesus, could come to God through Jesus Christ and be seen just like Jesus seen. So in order for God to reconcile you, he had to give you equality.
herein is the problem. If you don't think that I deserve equality, then I, I want you to understand this. Hear me. Just because you nice don't mean you ain't a racist. I get it. Everybody who had slaves didn't beat their back open. But if you was a good master and you didn't free them, you were still a master. I ain't beat my slaves. You still had them. So the challenge for a lot of you, which is why some of you have had your feelings so immensely hurt, is because you assumed that because you had white friends that they were allies. And allies and friends aren't all the ways the same thing. Because I got some people I'm cool with, but I ain't fine for you. You cool, but if I see you over there, I ain't fine. I'm, I'm, I'll call 911. I ain't gonna let no, I'm going to try to help you, but I ain't going over there getting in there. I got some other people. If you run up on them, you should have started with me. So understand that just because somebody's a friend doesn't mean that they're an ally. Why does this matter? We say all the time when we're talking about personal development, you cannot conquer what you don't confront. You cannot conquer. So we're trying to conquer racism without having a real conversation about racism. So let me talk to you as we wrap up about your friendly evangelical church. I want you to go and do your history and understand that every major denomination split over slavery. The Southern Baptist Convention formed over slavery. It was not until 1995 that they issued an apology. I would like you to acknowledge that if you shoot me and you apologize, it does not mean that my bullet wound has been tended to. So I appreciate your apology. And I appreciate, I went and read the language of it. It was like we recognize and we, re, we stand against the vestiges of slavery. But yet, when you had an opportunity to stand with your people, you didn't. So now here is the challenge that you got to make. Because here is the manipulation of white slavery, of white supremacy, of white superiority, of white Christianity. You ready? Are you going to take your place or are you going to just be a good, safe Negro? That, that really what it come down to. Because, see, understand that because we're trained, black people are trained not to make white people uncomfortable. We're trained not to. And the reason you're trained not to because your very lives depend on it. Now, I, I've, I've, I've watched my husband like, just modify himself a little bit if we get on the elevator with white women. Because God forbid that they should feel threatened. I've been on the elevator with my husband in a suit and watched a white woman grab a purse. I started to mush in the face, too. I did. I started to mush in her face. I started to say, he not a thug, but his wife is. His wife is the thug. But I didn't because my number one rule, I love Jesus. Hold on. So because we are trained instinctively not to make them uncomfortable, it is the reason that four hours after the election, they told you to stop talking about it. They told you to stop talking about it. 
You know the people who talked about President Obama the whole time he was in office? The people who said he was the Antichrist? Four hours! It wasn't even sealed. She hadn't even made the call. And they were like, let's sing Kumbaya. Can't we just all get along? Really, that was an instruction to fall in line. And some of y'all, I want to give y'all a hug. Because I'm telling y'all, if I see one more post with you begging and pleading and trying to get them to understand, I'm going to come to your house. I am going to come to your house and knock on your door and ask you, have you forgotten who you are? Loving white people does not require me to bow. I know you soaking and you taking out. It doesn't require me to be overly aggressive either. It just requires me to be. So when people ask me why you keep talking about it, I said, because I want to. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it until I get tired of talking about it. And because you said something, I'm going to talk about it at least four more weeks. Because <laughs> you ain't the boss of me. I know I'm a big black woman, but I'm not, I'm not your mammy. I'm, I'm not your mammy. I'm, I'm, not here, I'm not here to serve you. I'm not here to comfort you. I don't cook your greens and comfort you and walk you through the process. That's not who I am. And for those of you who are, like, stunned and struggling, you really should let us pray for you so you can get free. Here's the other thing. Let me tell you something. So, here, because here is, here is how abuse occurs. One of the ways that people prey on children and molest them is that they are a combination of nice, nasty. That's the truth. You give a kid a cookie, a puppy, you take them to the movies, they think you like them, so then when they, when they violate you, you're not sure whether you should say anything or not. I, I, I want to say to you, not all of them, but some of your friends are just grown-up molesters. They invite you to their house. They let your kids spend the night. They do all of this stuff that says we equal, but when it's time to be equal, they violate you. And I know a lot of y'all listening out there on Facebook. I'm just gonna tell you, listen. You listen, y'all say whatever you want to me. I don't hate white people. I love white people. Cause I got love white people and all other people to go to heaven, and I'm not going to hell for hating white people, okay? I love black people, and I am committed to my kids living in a better reality than this reality right here. So if the advancement of equality for my kid makes you uncomfortable, you should get a therapist and work through that. So let's wrap up. White people must take the responsibility to deal with racism. We can't fix it. Here, here's how dumb it sounds. Here's how dumb it sounds. Because, and because the black church do a lot of dumb stuff, so some of you will relate to this. So Joe is cheating on Mary, and so Mary goes to the church, and the women decide that we should do 5 a.m. prayer and fast for Joe. But Joe is asleep in the bed, and I'm not eating cake. All the time, people be like, "Can you fast?" I'm like, "Nope, I can't." If Joe want to be free from being a cheater, Joe should fast. If Joe want to be free, Joe should get up at 5 a.m. in prayer. I'm not.
not getting up at 5 a.m. in prayer because Joe cheat and why Joe sleep. Same concept. So it's like, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to produce reconciliation? The only thing we can do our part in reconciliation is to love, keep the door open, and to make sure that we are empowered. Because without equality, there can be no reconciliation. 